My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. There was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the wine ran short, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, how does your concern affect me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servers, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish ceremonial washings, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told them, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it, and when the head waiter tasted the water that had become wine, without knowing where it came from, although the servers who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to them, Everyone serves good wine first, and then when people have drunk freely, an inferior one. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this as the beginning of his signs at Cana in Galilee, and so revealed his glory, and his disciples began to believe in him. The Gospel of the Lord. At an orientation session for new students starting their college careers, one of the presenters was kind of able to snap every individual in this vast auditorium of several hundred freshmen from them starting to doze off after a string of people had been talking to them for a good hour or so with this one sentence. They asked, did you know that it only takes about seven seconds to make a first impression? It was comical seeing people instantly sitting up straight at attention in their chairs while others started quickly taking side glances at all the people around them. And the speaker went on to explain that psychologists have researched and come to that conclusion that in that short a period of time, people somewhat instinctively make judgments about another person's trustworthiness, their physical strength, their intentions, even their intelligence. Now, whether that's an accurate impression or not is a whole different issue. In fact, these same experts will claim that people can get so attached to their first impressions of others that it would be very difficult for that to be changed, even when presented with a lot of evidence that might point to the contrary. I'm not a psychologist, so I don't know how accurate a theory this is, but it definitely got me reminiscing, remembering different people in my life, some of my first meetings and how those judgments kind of left character description in my mind. Like when I think of some of my closest of friends, I can remember those first encounters, 
conversations and what was it that made such a strong sense of connection that lasts to this very day. My favorite and most impactful of teachers and professors, I can remember those first classes, those lectures, and what made them stand out as so impactful. Same is true for my least favorites, but that's a different story. First impressions came to mind praying with this gospel this week. As Catholics, we've just closed out the Christmas season these last two Sundays. First, we had the Epiphany, recalling how the wise men went searching for the newborn king of the Jews through the direction of this heavenly sign, that star, which directed them to meet the child Jesus. Last week, with Jesus' baptism in the Jordan by John the Baptist, we heard how God the Father's voice calls out from the heavens, saying, Jesus is my beloved Son, with whom he's well pleased. Those are some pretty impressive first impressions of Jesus without him saying or doing a whole lot. But that all changes this week where intentionally we hear Jesus' first miracle, or as St. John the Gospel writer puts it, Jesus' first sign. Before any of his teachings or any of his sermons, from over the 40 different miracles that are recounted throughout all the scriptures that he will do during his ministry, which included healing the sick, raising the dead, even having the ability to control nature, commanding that the winds and the seas and the storms be at peace. Today we hear Jesus first revealing himself, the first impression he wants to make with this large group of people, including family and friends and his first disciples, to complete strangers. Jesus changes water into wine. Now, honestly, there are books written on this one particular episode. St. John's Gospel was the last written, so he's the most reflective and thoughtful of the gospel writers. So all the details are, are heavy with meaning and significance. Even the fact that St. John doesn't use Mary's name but calls her the mother of Jesus. It's not like John didn't know her name. He was taking care of her at that point in his life. But it's John's way of making sure that the focus is never off of Jesus. Or with Jesus calling Mary woman, which sounds like a rebuke, but it's actually meant to draw a connection back to the Old Testament book of Genesis, where the first woman, Eve, prompts the first man, Adam, into sin. John's making the point that Mary's the new Eve, and he's, she's prompting the new Adam, Jesus, to save us from sin. But maybe that's just a nerdy priest who loves to get lost in all those details. The point is, there's so many layers and meanings to everything that's going on here. But to try to stay focused, Jesus' first miracle is more than him just saving this wedding party by turning water into over 180 gallons or 900 bottles of top shelf wine. A feat that more than provided for this week-long celebration that would have included pretty much the entire village. For many of my college students, it leaves the impression that Jesus is the greatest of party guests ever. 
But all kidding aside, why was that the first sign? What is Jesus trying to impress upon those guests as well as those who are not at that party? I think we have to look at the difference between water and wine. As human beings, we don't need wine. We need water. Water is essential for our survival. We wouldn't be able to live for more than three days without any water. Wine is very different. It's a different beverage. For those other than Jesus, to make wine involves a lot of time and energy and effort. Elements of nature, wine, yeast coming together, considerable time and patience for that fermentation process to take place, all resulting in this vintage being created. So we can appreciate that just on a surface level, while water is essential, for the most part, it's readily available and accessible, wine is not, it's a specialty. And while the crowds are, are celebrating and enjoying this, this turn of events of Jesus turning water into wine, whether they were able to be very reflective in that moment or not, probably not, they were drinking a lot, uh, there's a lot of deeper meanings, and it was certainly memorable, and it was an incredibly first impression for them. And one of that with them is that simply Jesus does not want us to simply survive. He wants us to thrive. Or as he will put it later in St. John's Gospel, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is telling us he wants us to have a fullness of an abundant life. For too many of us, we can forget that. Even those of us who do make it into these doors every week. Because we're living in a world that's maniacally fixated on amplifying fear, making us believe that our very survival is constantly at risk. A world that has lost any sense of the supernatural and grown into disbelief that there's anything other than this earthly life that we're living. And that has even affected us as people of faith into a lukewarmness where we kind of lower our expectations that, that God hears our cries, that he's attentive to our needs, and that he can or will do anything about them. One of my oldest friends whom I've known since we were in kindergarten reached out to me last week and he was reaching out to tell me that his brother-in-law had COVID and also has several comorbidities and the way he put it, he's dying. He doesn't have much longer from what the doctors say. And what was so striking to me was he was asking for prayers but there wasn't anything specific to those prayers. He was simply stating those facts and he coupled it with, I would appreciate your prayers. And in response, I said, I'm praying that the doctors are proven wrong. I'm praying he fully recovers. I'm praying for you and your family to experience healing. I'm asking your dad, who passed away a few months ago from natural causes in his late 90s, I'm asking him to pray for you and for all these things. And your family should be doing that too. And it was interesting because it's like he didn't want to go that far. He's very grateful for the prayers. I know he's praying, but he's keeping it very low expectations. He said, if it's meant to be, he'll get through this. If not, God has his reasons. 
All right. Love my friend. I know him and his family are going through a difficult time. And the last thing I want to do is make it sound like I'm judging him or making him feel unnecessarily guilty. But it was striking to hear basically prayers that had no expectations attached to them. Almost not wanting to get his hopes up. Believing that the doctor's report was the final word. Thanks be to God, a week later, this man's still alive. He's still fighting. The prognosis isn't clear, but it's also showing that the prognosis from a week ago wasn't as clear or as definitive as they originally thought either. While I don't know what's going to happen to this man and his family, I do know that Jesus wants us to go to him. He does want us to see in him the reason to get our hopes up. He wants us not to simply survive, but to thrive. And he wants us to live an abundant life. That in him, we find the way and the truth for that fullness and that abundant life for now and for all eternity. So yes, that means that ultimately there will be a time in the day where we will leave this earth. But that's not something he wants to live us to live in dread and fear over, but rather something to joyfully anticipate. And one of the ways we start to joyfully anticipate that is when we start to put out our big, bold prayers, when we see that miracles do take place, when we grow in confidence that he sees us, that he knows us, that he loves us, and has what's best in store for each and every one of us. That's the first impression Jesus gave at Cana. May that be the lasting impression we hold fast to.